Welcome to the Bottom Shelf Leadership Podcast, a ministry of Lindsay Lane Baptist Church, where we sit down with small town leaders who are making big time impact. Hey, and welcome into the podcast. Um, I am Heath Haney, Lindsay Lane's East Campus Pastor, joined as always uh, by Alan Ostrisky, North Campus Pastor, and Annie John King, our lead pastor and uh, teaching pastor here at the Athens Campus. So what's been going on today? Busy everything, day? man. Everything. Busy day? Yeah, absolutely. So what's going on at Every Elkmont? Little networking with fellow pastors. I got to meet with the new pastor of Elkmont Methodist. So oh, cool. I had to hang out at the gin house. Shout out to Anna Boger and the gin house. What's but, your go-to at the gin? Uh, hot bar, man. Always hot bar. Really? Yeah. I mean, where do you where do you, where do they have that anywhere else good in the world? God, that's a good move. The, the, so the Hamburger last time I had the gin house was breakfast, and I think I got a bologna, just like a bologna and cheese biscuit, and it was jam up. Very good. Big big y'all are y'all getting more or higher on breakfast the older you get? I feel like I did not value <laughs> breakfast, and now yeah. that I'm in my early forties, I'm yeah. like, man, I love a good breakfast. Well, a bit, I have a chicken, chicken, chicken and cheese biscuit from the Shell Station. Yeah, right. With a uh, can of Sun Drop. Yeah, that's, man. That's fine. I just don't ever eat breakfast, so when I eat it, it's a big deal. That's right. It's a, you know, I'm I'm not a breakfast guy. So uh, we're not forty yet. <laughs> well, it's coming at forty. That's yeah. That's when it happens. That's when it happens. <laughs> Hey, uh, well, Andy John, why don't you introduce our listeners to our very special guest today? Yes, sir. It is my privilege to introduce to you Jeff Hodges. Jeff is a 1985 graduate of Ardmore High School, an 89 graduate of the University of North Alabama, majoring in economics and finance with a minor in English. He has a graduate degree from the Graduate School of Banking of the South at LSU, Louisiana State University. He's a huge Alabama fan, though. I feel like I need to stop and <laughs> and uh, interject with that truth. I'm not going to say go Tigers. Right That's right. Uh, a 35-year career in banking currently, he serves as the executive vice president and manager of the North Alabama operations for North Alabama operations of the First National Bank. Uh, he's a member of Piney Grove Baptist Church. He is a current board member of the Athens Rotary Club, the Athens-Limestone County Emergency Communications District, United Way of Athens-Limestone County, Limestone Area Community Found Foundation and the Limestone County Sports Hall of Fame. Once again, a lengthy and valuable resume from one of our local leaders. I think we so have welcome one or in. Two more things on there. Yeah, we could add a couple more. I'm sure. I think we can let let this podcast be. Jeff's got some time to give. If you need help with anything, yeah, just you whatever. Just call Jeff. We'll put his we'll put his phone number. Uh, at least his email address. Just give him a call. He's got all kinds of time. Business or community, right? Just whatever you got questions <laughs> yes. for. Mr. Hodges, welcome to the Bottom Shelf Leadership Podcast. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Appreciate appreciate the invite. Yeah. Sir. Man, it's uh, Jeff, the, the podcast is just really about all three of us, uh, you know, cutting our teeth in ministry has been most of our leadership. But, uh, man, just I think early on in my time, you know, I realized that, that God was, had placed leadership within me. Um, and then I tried to learn leadership. I think we all have is tried to learn it. And even at a young age, getting overwhelmed with the way people talk about leadership. And oftentimes we talk about leadership in a way that nobody can feels like they can achieve it. And so that's what we try to do on the podcast, just make it real practical. Sure. So we like to talk about, we like to talk to practitioners, uh, men and women that are, that are actually doing it, uh, doing leadership. And so uh, that's why you're here, man. And uh, also because uh, we think you're awesome. And uh, we appreciate <laughs> We right. love Jeff Hodges. You, you're very and kind. what you guys don't know, what you may that. not know about Jeff, is Jeff's, his real claim to fame is his wife, 
who is, I don't know if this is official, but she has got to be in the top five kindergarten teachers out of the entire world. Like, I'll put that, the world. Like she's, The world. That's high praise. She, <laughs> she, she, uh, she had both of my kids and, man, just really brought out the best in them and, and just made their first year in school so awesome. So awesome. The best kindergarten teacher in every tribe, tongue, and nation. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> she uh, very dedicated, I'll have to say. She, I've never seen probably anybody take their job more seriously than my wife did at teaching kindergarten. She just retired, thirty-five years, and this is her first year in retirement. Wow. So. Yeah, congratulations, sir. That's awesome. She she was good. Well, let's let's talk let's talk leadership. Uh, Andy John, hit him with the first question. Yeah. So before the podcast, we usually pick out a few uh, areas that we want to cover. All right, I'm going to go completely away from that, even though that we've <laughs> talked about that for just a moment, because because of your resume. I mean, truthfully, the the way that I think that I know you and many in our community know you is not necessarily through the bank, but through the community. You serve in all kinds of different ways. If Correct me if I'm wrong, but for a long time, you were the voice of the Ardmore Tigers. Is still that correct? Still is the voice. Of okay, the so, so all right, uh, I didn't know that that was still current. All right. Yeah. I that didn't make it on the that resume. off my resume. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, but, I mean, like, that's, that's the way that you're uh, known, a great reputation of, as a community man. And so, uh, I guess just very simply, why do you do that? Why do you feel like that's important? And uh, what value does it add uh, to, to your career? Well, you know, Ardmore has always been home to me. I've lived there my entire life other than my four years in college. And one year, uh, my first job that I had, I lived in Decatur. So Ardmore has always been home. It's been very good to me. The people there have been good to me. I, you know, I love the school. Um just just a way to give back, Andy John. You know, I feel like that's something. It, and it keeps me tied to the school a little bit, which is close to my heart. Um, you know, I started doing it in 93. This is 30 years. So, um, funny story, I, I was running the Bank of Ardmore at that time, which was still the Bank of Ardmore. It's not it's still there, but it's not the Bank of Ardmore anymore. And the principal's wife worked for me. And the gentleman that was doing the play-by-play for football and basketball started having some health problems during football. And she came to me and wanted to know, she said, Mr. Holt wants to know, would you finish out the football season doing the PA? And I thought, sure. Uh, You saw I have a minor in English. I got that because I was halfway through a journalism degree. I actually wanted to be a sports writer for a while. But I realized sitting in a press box trying to meet a deadline on a Friday or Saturday night Probably I'm not a fast writer. <laughs> I don't think quickly. So I figured out that's probably not good for you. So I, my mother had been in banking for 20-plus years, and so that's the direction I took. But there are some days I wish I had stayed the course maybe. And But doing that PA kind of scratched that itch a little bit uh, in a way, and then that's just just to give back to the community. I love the community. I love the school. Uh, any way I can support it. Not just in Ardmore, I would say. Yeah. You know, because folks in Athens know you too, just that's through right. your, you know, all those things uh, that you mentioned. You know, so that's it's another thing that that we love talking to people that are, you know, not just devoted to their job, but devoted to their community. Community, and because we know that, um, that man, it's a job is only part of who you are, or oftentimes not even a, a big part, and. Uh, 
I think just as much as you're known as the uh, the executive vice president of, of First National Bank, you're known as, as somebody who's in and around, like you said, and so it's really cool. You know, yeah. what what would you say to to leaders? Uh, just makes me think, uh, you know, in in uh, community churches that we all lead, uh, what's the you know, what's the payoff? You got leaders. Every leader is busy. You know, every leader is busy spinning plates and got more plates than hands and, and you know, are trying to prioritize different things, prioritize family, prioritize, you know, obviously what they're doing, ministry or, or job. Like, what would you say to someone who is, feels like they are maxed out, but but there is that whole, that community involvement, that, that, that world connection, what would you say to somebody that, that is trying to make the space to do that? That's a, <clears throat> that's a good question. I never really, I don't guess, have thought about it that way. I, I guess in, I, I'll, I'll tell you the way I've approached it in, in my life. That I'll just go that route with you. You know, um, as I've been presented opportunities to be involved in the community, there's now, now you can overload your wagon pretty quickly, particularly when people know you're willing to work. Yeah. Okay, yeah. they you'll get asked to do a lot, <laughs> and there I'm not going to lie to you. There's been times when I was involved with too much because nobody was getting very much out of me because I was spread too thin. So over the past several years, and I think that comes with age too, it comes a little bit easier to say no, and and. I've also gotten a position to where if somebody asked me to get involved with their organization, I may not be able to do it, but I may can put somebody on my team there that will probably do a better job than I can do at the point in their career. So I've done that a lot more over the past few years. And really what I've stayed involved in is stuff that I have the most passion for. And and some of the other stuff, not it's not that they're not great causes, just kind of handed that off a little bit. But I, I think that's – I circle back to say I think that's the thing you got to do if you want to do everything justice is you got to really figure out in those instances getting involved in the community what you've got a passion for. Um, obviously, Ardmore High School I have a passion for. I've been in the Athens Rotary Club for well over 20 years, and and what we do is a great thing. The uh, 911 district here, which is a short name for that communication district. I've been with that organization for many, many years, back before we even had the building out there. and. You know, until people peel that onion back and, and see what a role that organization plays in our community, uh, a lot of people don't know. Um, you know, United Way, everybody kind of knows what they do. So, I, you know, where you have a passion for the Sports Hall of Fame probably today is my number one passion, to be honest for you. And uh, Andy John's dad's on that board uh, with us, uh, one of my favorite people on earth. And um, that's a big passion for me because I love sports and I – the scholarships and the way we're able to recognize people, what we do there, I love. But find something you're passionate about, you know, and just to me it's about prioritizing time. Now, I'm OCD. I come to work every day with a list of things to do in priority order, and I start marking them off. So if that's part of my everyday routine from time to time, then I make time for it and I do it. But to me it's just all about giving back. You know, I've been involved locally in – I'll say Limestone County all my life. And the people here have been incredibly, incredibly good to me and the organizations that I've been involved with that's allowed me to make a living. And to me, it's just about doing the right thing, giving back when you're given the opportunity. So that's just kind of been my my theory. Well, one thing I would just say as an observation from 
those that I feel like have always been good leaders, they know relationships add value to whatever they're doing, but they don't build relationships to add value. They do so because they love people. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so when the question comes about, you know, what do you choose to do and why do you choose to do it, your answer is not networking. I mean, which you could have given that answer, and I guess it's been fine for, you know, business, but yeah. I, I I expected nothing less than for you to say something like that. About, it's more about what you're passionate about, how you can help, yeah. than, you know, building relationships towards, you know, what you do. I, I think one of the best things I know for, I, speaking of my dad, I remember my dad told me when I was little or younger and uh, knowing that I, I was not hardwired to be able to work with my hands, uh, you know, I'm. I, it takes me twice as long as a normal man to do anything when it comes to handyman stuff. But he, he said, if if you don't know how to do it, you're going to have to build and keep good relationships so that somebody can come and do it for you, or you can pay them to do it, right? And um, and that's that. All all these folks that we've had in here that have sat around this table or this podcast, I think they really just like people. You know, want to help people at the end of the day, and it benefits them. Yeah. And I think I think we've all seen those leaders that. Or maybe as involved as as Jeff is on some stuff and some other leaders, but you, you question their motives. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's not as much about what I can do for your, for you. It's a more about I'm trying to build some relationships so I, I can get a kickback from this. I mean, I think I just don't think it's good leadership. I think it's uh it's taking advantage and and I think uh, I, I think an impure heart yeah. as a leader will find its way out. And you may hide it well for a few years, but eventually it's going to be obvious. Yeah, and that's what I've found through the years is that, you know, Heath, if you genuinely care about what you're doing and your heart's in the right place and you do it for that reason, all the other stuff will come along with it. Yeah, yeah. that's right. The, you, other, the, the other things come along with it. You're usually not, not – those, like you said, eventually – you're not fooling anybody really for the short term either. I think people always have a question, yeah, but it, it will – it will show itself in one way or the other. It'll it'll prove you, or it'll disprove you. Yeah. And 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 spiritually speaking, right? Like you know, not just we're not just leaders, but but as a Christian business leader, like the greatest among you is a servant, not a networker. You know, and <laughs> yeah, so yeah. and is so the, the person, says? yeah. <laughs> so like the person that the person that is truly serving. I mean, that, God's going to bless that, like. And so, what are we? What are we really after? I think I think you're exactly right. We have to evaluate our motives to this. If 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 everything that we do is selfishly driven, is driven to make our company great or our name great or our brand great, uh, then then as as Christian leaders, we've got to know that that that's only going to get us so far. And and the Lord just is not going to bless it like he like he would a Christ like servanthood attitude. And I think one of the, the best ways I've seen that through First National Bank um, over the years, even being a part of that myself, um, is what you guys do for young leaders and giving them an opportunity to come alongside um, on the Student Advisory uh, Council. And so, uh, Jeff, why don't you talk a little bit about what First National does there and the importance of investing in leaders? Yeah, Heath, we started that about 30 years ago. A guy named Harold Bass, who was a former educator up in Giles County, had a passion for students. He had been an educator, got out, uh, came to work for us, and started what we still call today the Student Advisory Board. And uh, when we first started it, we it was only, at that point in time, Pulaski and Ardmore. And since then now we have Giles County, 
Marshall County, Tennessee, uh, Lincoln County, Tennessee, and then when when we opened here in 08, we started here also. We left Ardmore alone. They have their own, but then we have one here in Athens that's got kids from every school in the county, public and private. And uh, Athens and, and East Limestone have four because of the size of the school and all the other schools have two. And we meet once a month during the school year. And, you know, just trying to teach them life skills. Like I left a meeting to come here. And we have a lady there today talking to them about marketing. And then another lady that will talk to them about simply balancing your checkbook, how to write checks, fraudulent activity today, which unfortunately is something you have to talk about because it's prevalent today in our industry. So just practical stuff. We have a guy that comes in, talks to him about interviewing skills, resume skills, how to get a uh, heads up, you know, when you're looking for a job like that. I do a presentation on credit, how to start your credit and how to take care of it and budget and things like that. So it's a really good program. It's a couple, we're in, uh, actually, Heath, the lady that is over the program now is another Ardmore grad, Savannah Bentley, Savannah oh, yeah, Horn. Yeah. So Savannah yeah. runs it now and does a really good job with it. Yeah. So I got a I got another question that's not a part of the initial questions we thought we were going to ask. <laughs> uh, that's the route we're on. It's okay. Well, simply because with you working with people, and that, I guess this sort of ties into making big decisions, but and even communication. But when you're you're not just working with people in the banking industry, uh, you're you're talking and working with people and their money. So I mean. And, <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but but even preaching on money, even though it's in the scripture, when you talk about tithing and giving and generosity, it's it's still you feel like this they pressure point. <laughs> yeah, they love it. They love it, right? Mm. It's still this pressure point to make sure you get it right uh, and and represent the truth because it's such a delicate thing. People and their money. So I, I know you serving in the position you're serving in now. You didn't start there. So uh, throughout the years. What's been the best way to, to communicate with people about things that they value the most or, or delicate situations, conversations? You're talking about from a client perspective. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, you know, a wise person told me one time, if you want to really upset somebody, mess with their kids or mess with their money. Yeah. And I said, you know, I'm a banker. My wife's a school teacher. So we've got, <laughs> got, we've got, got both sides <laughs> of that covered, you know. But but that's true. I mean, there there is truth to that. That's, that was a... The person that told me that said that tongue-in-cheek, but it's absolutely true. But, you know, I think through the years, the biggest thing when dealing with people in the position I've been in is, is just being very honest. I mean, I, if you ask me one characteristic, you, you've got to gain. When it comes to people's money, you've got to gain their trust. And the only way to gain their trust is just to be honest with them. And sometimes being honest with them, in many cases, honestly, is not telling them what they want to hear. Uh, from a perspective of, you know, I've spent most of my career lending money, and, and that's what I did probably for the first, you know, 30 years of my career. I'm in a different role today. I still talk to a lot of people about that. But then I ultimately probably end up handing it off to some of our other folks because of time constraints, and there's a lot of days I don't really like that because that was probably the, the most uh, rewarding part of my job. But nevertheless, I mean, I think it's just honesty, uh, letting people and, and and you know you you go back to what you you said earlier about the uh, deal with doing things uh, that benefit you as far as what you're involved in from a from a volunteer perspective. 
you know, your clients too will figure that out too. If they'll figure out real quickly whether you've got their best interest at heart or your best interest at heart. And and that's one thing I think that that, that I've tried to do all through the years is put myself in their position many times or all the time really when I'm talking to them and try to figure out what's best for them. And, you know, obviously as you get experience under your belt, that becomes easier to do. You've seen it more than one time. You've got examples you can and circumstances you can go back to and and uh, and rely on to see how you help people. Sometimes, unfortunately, it might not have worked, but you draw from that and you don't give bad advice anymore, not that you meant to the first time. Yeah. But I think, Andy John, it's just trust mainly, letting people know that, you know, you have their best interest at heart, and um, and that's kind of how it's went for me through the years as far as developing. And that takes time, too, to, to develop. Like, trust is that's one of those messy relational things that sounds good to talk about and around a table, but it, it's really hard to earn. Um, I, I had a lady, you talk about money, I had a lady uh, last week who said, I am no longer at dot, dot, dot church because the pastor wouldn't quit talking about money. I got tired of hearing all of his messages about money. And then I, I started I started diving into that, and I was like, well, how long have you been there? Well, we've been there for a, we, we were there for a couple months. I was like, okay, so. So it was a series on money. Right, that's, that's right. And, and I was asked one time, like, hey, are 25% of your sermons always going to be about money? And I'm like, well, no, we've been launched for three months, and I've preached twice on it, you know, like, and and we're building a building right now, you know, renovating renovating a building, and so, but but the, that speaks to the pocket change, like we have to be willing. I think where where it's obvious that there's someone's for you or not is what are they what are they willing to do? Like how how do how do they gain your trust? Like how do we how do we build those relationships? whereby trust can be developed because, you know, we talk about pocket change all the time with leadership. And, you know, if you've been there for a minute, yeah, you can initiate some changes, but it's not, it's, it's the long-term leader that is, that is trusted and that has that shows that investment. And so I just thought about that as you, as you shared that, because some, some of our listeners, they are young in the leadership and you got to know that, you may be following somebody that had all that all that built up moral uh, authority in there in in that person's life, and you've got to work to gain that as well. Before you know, you maybe you don't need to blame them for the lack of trust. Maybe you need to look at how you can build that you know in them. Well, and I'll say this: this you know, banking that can be a an industry where that just off the cuff maybe that a lot of people don't have trust sometimes in bankers. I tell people, my joke is uh, bankers have the same reputation as lawyers. We just don't make as much money uh, <laughs> to kind of give that, a, uh, you know, a spin on that. And that's a joke with my attorney friends. But, you know, particularly concerning was after the 08 recession. Um, you know, we really got a black eye out of that yeah. um, because a lot of people blame banks and financial institutions, mortgage companies, with the, what happened to the economy then. And it filtered, and nobody in Athens, Alabama, had a thing in the world to do with that, okay? <laughs> but it was just everybody painted that with a broad brush. And we've had people that we've even interviewed for a job that's talked to us about their parents sitting around the dinner table talking about, you know, banks and how sinister, we, you know, we were. And it... Honestly, I think it has hindered us in being able to hire people. I really do. 
Uh, there's no other theory. You know, our, our industry used to be, um, uh, if you were a banker in a small town, you, you were pretty, you know, not necessarily prestigious position, but you were held in pretty high esteem. Uh, not anymore at all. And people don't want to work at the banks anymore. I mean, it is very difficult. And I know it's that way in a lot of industry, but people don't. And, and, and one of the theories behind that is, is in the aftermath of the recession, you know, the people that are in, coming into the workforce today heard their parents talking about how the financial institutions created that debacle of the recession, and they just kind of wrote it off as, a, as an industry they didn't want to be associated with. Mm. So I think it's as good a theory as any, it, yeah. you know. Gosh, it, you think about that, generations of people, the way that they see the, the truth in front of them has to do with what's been communicated down the line. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a stereotype of the monopoly man with a monocle, you know, coming in and getting a loan from them, you know. Yeah. And that's the hard thing. I mean, to those leaders that are listening, you know, to be able to, to do what you're doing, which is assess the assess the, the world you're, you're running in and, and to be able to see, recognize those problems and um, – and be able to, to figure out how to work through them, you know, as, as, as part of leadership. And same way for us in the church, you know. Um, when <laughs> Churches don't always have the uh, – aren't held in high, res, in high regard as well. Um, pastors used to be, um, you know, a pillar of the community as well, and, and not everybody thinks of us that way. Yeah. At least Alan. Um, nobody ever <laughs> thinks of Alan that way. Um, but – but careful, just, man. Careful. There's people in the Elkmont listen to this right now, Heath. Absolutely. Uh, that was a joke. I know. No. The, the joke is, <laughs> I never. I everyone talks about Alan well, and North and Elkmont in good ways. So just telling you, Andy Griffith Show says what what said in jest said best. <laughs> I'm saying. Well, there's some knives there's being thrown, and I want you to know I'm throwing none of them, Heath. I know. So. That's right. <laughs> you said, Mishajas, that used to be where when you were doing more lending you're having more of those personal conversations. Is it now that you're leading leaders? Is, That's right. Is, so That's right. So in your role now, um, as you are leading leaders, tell us about how you communicate each week with those leaders. Uh, what do you find to be the most effective way to uh, prepare your followers, your team, uh, whatever you want to call that, uh, for, for what they have to do in the future to be successful? Well, I communicate on a regular basis with about, <clears throat> you know, our organizational chart, uh, let's just say in Alabama, and, and I'll say I'm at the head of the food chain on that. And then I've got a market leader in every market, one in Huntsville, one in Madison, Coleman, and Athens, or Limestone County. And those are the guys I communicate with. And, you know, I've had to discipline myself, Andy John, through the years because I, I want things done like that. Okay? That's my personality. Um and, and I try not to jump chain of command because I didn't like it when people did that with me, okay? Particularly when I was young. You know, you can get defensive on that pretty quick. So I communicate with them. They are my first line of communication. And then I let them communicate with their staffs what I'm trying to do. But on the communication line, I'm old school, okay? And I live in the technology world. I don't like it per se. You guys, <laughs> you're a whole nother breed from me. But I'm going to pick up the phone and call somebody, guy. I had to have some hard conversations earlier in the week, and it was never a thought about me sending an email. Mm-hmm. I'm going to pick up the phone, and I'm going to call you. Or I may show up at your place and talk to you face-to-face because I just think we lose so much. And don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm, 
I said, I'm going to negotiate my next pay raise based on the number of emails I get in a day. Because, I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. that many. But, and I understand that's the age that we live in, but you'll never convince me that eyeballing somebody or at least picking up the phone call and letting them hear the inflection in my voice and what I mean and how I mean it, to me that just gets the message across better as far as the means of communication goes. And I don't know if that's what you were asking me. That, no, that's definitely part of it. I, I was about to say, no matter if I feel like I'm communicating with a certain age group that responds better to text than it does a phone call, whatever, email, and so much tone gets lost. Oh, yeah. You misread so much into those various forms of communication and when you're face to face you at least get to express empathy sympathy uh you know i was being sarcastic when i said this i'm not right now and it's 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 harder to do because it takes more time that's right to schedule it and but it you know it's, hey, it it's better in the long it run it don't take more time if you got to clean it up though and that's what i found that's good is yeah. is I, I think i probably base it on what i'm trying to communicate you know what I mean? There's certain things that, yeah, that can be a quick text message to say, hey, to our leaders at our church particularly, just, hey, think about this, an email. But then there's times where I want to sit down knee to knee with somebody at lunch um, and have that conversation because it's more serious, and I, I want to make sure that beyond any shadow of a doubt you get what I'm saying. Mm. And uh, right. and I think, you know, for me, of course, being raised in – I didn't have a cell phone until I was 17. Mm. So I hadn't, been, I hadn't raised, been raised with one in my pocket necessarily, but um, – most of my life has been spent in the technology age, and so uh, I'm quicker to send emails and text messages when I shouldn't. And, and man, I've learned that lesson the hard way. And like you say, it takes a lot of time, but boy, it takes a lot longer to clean it up yeah, after true. you've blew it. Very yeah, true. I don't know that anybody has ever, any leader has ever said, "Man, I overcommunicated that." You <laughs> yeah. know, like, but yeah. I have definitely <laughs> said I have undercommunicated that. You know, I, I I had a someone who worked underneath me that that. Uh, you know, I, I relied on heavily for communication, and I used to make fun of her because she would over communicate stuff. I mean, she it, it, one one thing changed, and I'm printed out a whole other report. It's sitting on my desk, and I'm like, "Hey, wait till you have five or six of these, and then you can send me the new report." When there's some quantifiable difference between the two, and I and that became a running joke between us. And then I had an assistant that wasn't that way, and I realized. How much more I wished I was communicated to more, and that, that's even from a you know from a, a, a lower position up, you know how much more do we do that as leaders? Our people are going, hey, and if you'd have just if you'd have just shared with me your heart, if you'd have just shared with me why we're going in this direction, you'd have won me. But uh, we've said it on here before, people that if you're not up on something, you're usually down on it, and that's typically what we what we find no i think that's a good point in that you know we, we we're in an industry uh one of the industries today that changes as much as anybody very quickly with technology and 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 new platforms and how we do things and i think one of the weaknesses that we have when i say we not just our organization but maybe our industry as a whole but it really goes to anything it doesn't matter whether you're at church or, or any organization you're with, change is threatening even when it's good. Oh, yeah. And, and, and so one of the things I've seen with communication is you can overcome that with good communication. I, I look at our organization today, and that's we've implemented. Or, um, I was challenged with a new program, customer service-type program lately for our entire company. 
and it's going to requ- it has required we've just implemented it people that are already some of our busiest people to do some additional stuff so i knew how that was going to be met i knew how if i sent an email or whatever right. that the the first inclination is going to be something else to do i'm already blown away and now you're giving me something else to do so and I'm not tell, I'm not saying this to say this is the right way or wrong way. I'm just telling you yeah. how I feel and what I believe in. But I scheduled meetings with every office, and I went to those people. We met one on one, and I told them the genesis behind why we were doing what we were doing, not just hey, here's a new program, go do it. Yeah. Here's why we are doing it, and here's what we are trying to accomplish with that. And I've seen through the years, if particularly with change, if you will do that. And communicate it that way. Here's why we're doing it. Here's the thought process from the top down. Okay? You get a lot better buy-in. And I've not got one single complaint from anybody on that. And it is working, as of today, very well. Yeah. Subject to not. But but so far, so good. Sure. And, and, of course, follow up. But just explaining to people why you're doing what you're doing you know, the mindset of it, what you're trying to accomplish for the company and how you need their help, that communication to me is uh, invaluable in getting that done without it being threatening to folks. I think uh, I think early on in my leadership, I thought what people wanted when there was change, I knew they needed communication. I learned that the hard way first. You got to communicate change. The second, the, the second level I got to was I thought they wanted details. I thought what they needed to do was understand how the change was going to happen. Let them know, hey, here's what's fixing to happen. Here's some things we're working on. This is, and so you overload people with details, and and that actually is what I found. It is what some people are looking for. Oh, good, you've thought about it. Perfect. Yeah. You know, like they're okay. <laughs> but a vast majority of people, I think you're spot on in what you're seeing because what we've 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 seen at church is they're looking for why the purpose. That's right. That's right. And uh, I think that's I don't know percentages, but there are a few people that just want to know. You've thought about it? Cool. I'm with you. But then others, I think, especially when it involves them personally, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you've got to sell the why. Man. Right now we are in the middle here at the main campus of making uh, some aesthetic changes. You know, anytime people in churches see things that have always been there that they're attached to for a long time change, it's the why is important. Yeah. And then we, we're also making a couple of uh, pastoral hires. You know, we have an executive pastor that retired. We're hiring for that position, a worship pastor that's moved to a different state. We're hiring for that position. And it hit me, seriously, probably three weeks ago. The first thing when I was here, I went to every group uh, at, at Lindsay Lane on Sunday morning over a period of time and just Q&A and introduce ourselves. And and the pulpit, in my opinion, is not the place to talk about why we're bringing chairs in and moving pews out. Now, we can for a minute, but that yeah. time is – we got we got more to do with that time. Right. So, uh, but it did hit me that I've got to figure out a way to, to, to communicate this rather than just by bulletin or a quick announcement at the end. So once again, we're going to speaking, listening to her, to the, to the groups again for just makes it smaller to where I'm in front of people so that, that, like you said, they can pick up on cues that our heart is not to rip this place down or mess anything up. We're just, we're just doing our due diligence, trying to do our best for where we think the Lord's taking us. Uh, you know, we're, we've prayed over these decisions. We're here's who's on the search team, and all those things happen better, like you said, when you're in front of them. It, even if it's smaller groups, rather than 
sending in text blast, email chain. Um, and, and I look forward to that and I'm thankful that we have the opportunity to do that just for the clarification sake. Yeah. And you talk about the why, you know, it is, it is incumbent on us as a leader to make sure the why is big enough, like to make sure there, that there's a more, a significant enough reason. And then, uh, I'm sure it's not, I'm sure it's not native to him, but, but Tim Milner and pastor of Central church in Huntsville, um, walked with me through some church planning stuff and mentoring. And he used to say, if your why is big enough, then you can overcome any how or any what, like the details. Yeah. If your why is big enough, you can overcome those things. And what I have found is I am not the details guy. Um, I have people that that come that I surround myself with that are those details guys. And the people that want the details, while that might bog down the masses, those people will come to you. Like they'll find you if they're if if there's enough they they don't if it's foggy enough for them and they need more details they'll they'll find you and then you can explain it to them which is going to be a far more effective as we've already established a far more effective format and platform than than it would be from a pulpit or in a, in a mass communication effort. So, yeah. well, the good news is remember there are always dozens of people listening to this podcast. Yes, tens of people. That's right. So if y'all ever have to announce anything, this is a great platform to do it, yeah. to reach the masses. Well, we told y'all on the podcast it was coming. You didn't hear on the podcast we were changing things up? <laughs> That's what we need to start known. doing, announcing really important information on it. We got, hey, you didn't listen to the podcast. That's right. I don't I don't know. Uh, going back, uh, your first cell phone. What was your first cell phone? You mentioned that earlier. Ooh, dude. You remember what it was? It what was. It was, it was, uh, it was a, uh, LG, I think. I remember I wanted this one because it had the – it had the play button. It was like one you could. It had a little bit of storage on it, so you could put songs on it. And it had three buttons on the front. It had a skip forward, a play pause, and then a skip backward. Uh-huh. And so supposedly, I never used it for that. <laughs> I it looked cool it. though. It looked really cool though. Yeah. In yeah. a belt clip. <laughs> no, you didn't. I don't. I don't know. I don't know I'm pretty sure cool. those have never been cool. Yeah, they they were when I first started. I don't know. I I don't know. It wasn't my. I don't. I honestly don't remember my first phone. Uh, But the coolest phone I had was a Samsung Juke, and it like opened like a switchblade. Like it like it was like a long skinny deal, and you and you flipped it open. And so like when you answered, just flicked your hand, and it flipped open, and then you're talking to people. It felt like that. Do you remember the first big deal person that you met that had a bag phone? Oh, my dad had a bag phone. I don't so even know why so he John, did. John, John Wayne King is is a big deal officially. Yeah, uh, We have heard here Jeff Hodges I, is a big deal here <laughs> officially because he had a bag phone. Only big deals had well, bag here, Here's the thing about bag phones, since you hadn't want to let you speak to it more than me. <laughs> My dad had a bag phone. I don't know if the who he was working for at the time at Athens State. I don't know if they got it for him because he did some traveling with recruiting and things like that for the university. I don't know if they got it for him or not, but, like, we were never allowed to use that ever. Like, to call our grandmother, you know, because minutes yeah. and uh, yeah. the way stuff calls. Or, or being whatever. confused for airstrikes, coordinates, and Seriously, things like that. I never saw him use it. I, I really didn't. I, I thought, this is the coolest thing ever, and we weren't allowed we to touch to it, and it. I never saw him use it. So, I don't <laughs> so, know how that went for you in the bag phone. Well, it was uh, – I, I was changing jobs back in the early 90s, and uh, we I was going from one company to the next, and – the new company I was going to was buying a bank in Ardmore, but there was a lag time between I needed to leave my old company and go to the new company to be involved with the planning of the purchase and organization of the new bank. But I still needed to be accessible right, from my clients, mm-hmm. and I was working that area then to go ahead and, and garner business. So they got me a bag phone. 
took it around in my car. Luckily, that didn't last very long, Andy John. And then I got this. I went from a bag phone to a little bitty phone, but it had an antenna you had to pull up. Oh, that was my first okay. Motorola. That was, was it a Motorola? Mine was Verizon. It, I think it flipped it down been. and the antenna went up. Yep. That's, that was my first. So I had one, but I could put it in my back pocket, uh-huh. and I thought I had arrived when I got that phone. You know, because not many people had cell phones back then. That's true. Yeah, yeah. But but they got that one, and then, of course, then the BlackBerry came into being, and I had a BlackBerry for a long time because I could – Email. That was one of the first instruments you could get your email on. You know, back it's then. where the, so. the the fat finger officially became a thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So sorry, this, I just completely hijacked that well, conversation. I'll, but I heard you we, say it before we get back on. I want to say so. Just my ignorance. So a back phone worked the same way, right? Like off of cell towers. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. I've I, always satellites. I don't know. <laughs> what was it? Was it you know, was it a he, sat phone or was it? I don't know how. You know what the signal bounced off of to get you, but it didn't work half the time. <laughs> I mean, you only had to be—you could be in certain places, and and it was very. I don't remember it to me being a very pleasurable experience, nor was I a good communicator <laughs> with it because it was only in certain areas that I could get people, right. and I kind of knew where those areas were. So I would end up, you know, you okay, I need to call so and so, so I'm going to go yeah. back over here and give them a call. I just know? always thought they were a big deal. He's Heath is literally looking at the back phone right now. Yourself. Just keep talking. Uh, I can't find anything. This is really taking a riveting. This is riveting radio. Uh, Evolution. Hey, I did want to go back to, and I don't know if you how you edited this in, but um, <laughs> speaking again, of bag phones, yeah, speaking of bag phones, <laughs> more instead speaking of, just, of instead of just throwing the question out. Thank you for giving me all this right here. This is, yes, this for good to cut out. Well, Alan, Alan talked about uh, the why being big enough. Yeah, especially good. with money, you have got to clarify the why. There's you just stop right there if you don't. And that we found that when talking about missions. And I, I, I think for me and what I learned in preaching, speaking towards people's generosity, first of all, it's in the Scripture, then we're going to talk about it. But uh, it, if we know we believe in it and we'll be godly responsible with it, then we'll talk about it. And we'll do so with confidence and conviction because – um, we're, we're not asking anybody to do anything that we would not do ourselves or not already doing ourselves. Right. And so, uh, I, I, but that grow into that place of confidence to talk about that from the scriptures, um, while it's still not easy, it, it is important to tell people this is for the purpose of us being a missional church of carrying out the great commission, you know, to go and make disciples. And that's, that assumes evangelism and we're taking it here, there and everywhere. And, um, again, those are not sales pitches. It's the truth. It's yeah. the actual truth of why we are considering giving. And, you know, I'll make little comments here and there. Uh, like we had a, a kid that was baptized, I guess it was last week or two weeks ago, and he said um, he walked in the water and he was like, oh, man, the water's warm. And I'm like, well, man, we're paying the bill. You know what I mean? <laughs> which which is a funny way to say, though, but like our when our people are uh, faithful and God blesses, we can take care of the things that we, we need to take care of so that we can – uh, have that stuff and uh, thankful for it, but but the why going back to that, if if that's not clear, and you know we've read books on that together as a staff of clarifying the why, and then clarifying the when or whatever you want to call it, um, and if that's not clear though, and we've also learned that uh, to be clear is to be kind, and if by the time we get sick of talking about it, then people are finally starting to hear it. Yeah. And I think too. You know, even even Jeff, if you if you've communicated that clearly, this decision that you're talking about, and even though you communicated, you made the phone call, you did all that. How important 
is especially that particular decision that you were passing down. Um, how important is the way those people view you fitting into them buying in, right? Like how, how does that make sense? Um, let me reword it. No, uh, that's a no from <laughs> Jeff's face to your, uh, let's think about it. I'm really bad at asking questions. I didn't like in a she group setting, Brittany will look at me sometimes. She'd be like, what? What did you just ask them? Because like, you, like, like, you wax on, you wax on, and then you. I know. Like, wait, I'll so ask nine part questions. Yeah, I doubt yeah. that way. Let's try that again. Yeah, let's try it again. Um, so even if you had communicated that clearly mm-hmm. on the phone, and you called them, you presented the why very, very clearly. Um, how important is your reputation among the people you're leading, and how they view you, and like your work ethic, and especially in this particular where you're asking them to take on more, mm-hmm. right? How important is it for you as a leader? to be modeling a certain behavior and a certain leadership so that they buy into that. Uh, There's nothing more ultimately important than that as a leader, Heath. I mean, you know, I tell our young people that I'm trying to groom all the time, the biggest thing that your people have to do is they have to respect you. Yeah, They don't have to like you. There's a big difference. Not that we don't want to be liked. We all want to be liked, okay? But number one, you got to be respected. And you can't ask for respect. Respect is only earned, never asked for. You'll never gain anybody's respect by saying, hey, I'm the boss around here. You're going to respect me. That's the quickest way to lose somebody's respect. So all I can tell you, Heath, is what's happened to me through the years. And whether it's been successful or not, I guess other people will have to look and judge that. That's not for me to determine. But um, my car is the first one in the parking lot every morning for a reason. Nobody's going to beat me to work. I don't have to do that. I don't have to do that, but I do because I want to send the message. Well, first of all, I get a lot more done before anybody gets there than I do any other time, so there's there's many purposes behind it. But you've, you've got to – you have to go out of your way to gain people's respect. you got to show them that you're willing to do more than they're willing to do. Um, you're not going to ask them to do anything you're not willing to do. I'm going to be the first one there. I'm going to be the last one to leave. Uh, if there's garbage to be taken out, I'll take the garbage out if we need to. It's been my theory through the years. Um, that's how, to me, you earn people's respect is through hard work. I mean, they got to know that you know what you're doing, yeah. first of all. But they also got to know you care about them. Uh, if you're going to lead people in whatever you're doing, my theory is they got to know you genuinely care about their well-being, that you want them to succeed, and that you're willing to help them to succeed in whatever it is. Uh, coach them help them move up through the ranks, listen to them, cry with them when they need to cry with a family member or a death in the family or a sickness or whatever it is. Because going back to what you said earlier, you can't fake that kind of stuff. You can't fake that. you got to let them know genuinely that you care about them. And, and thankfully, through all of my years, I've been blessed to work for companies that had that moral value about them. And, and 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 I've certainly tried to do that. I mean, we've got sickness in the office here where my office is, even though I'm in the car today probably more than I am at any time. But, you know, um, just being attentive to that and truly caring about your people, um, their well-being, their families, and earning that respect um, to me is vitally important to any kind of buy-in, yeah, if you don't, what you're if you trying don't, to do. If, if they don't trust you, no matter how clear that why is, no matter how many details you give them, they ain't going nowhere with you. And uh, and I think that's 
I mean, just a, a good word to leaders is, yeah, don't don't be a people pleaser and don't be uh, – not go that way, all the way on the other side. But, man, you've got to earn the respect of those people. That's good. The challenge is multiplying that with, like you said, those six guys that you said you – I think it was six uh, – is multiplying that through those other yeah, leaders. That's right. Because you can only um, – Minister to uh, connect with so many people per day, and when your name's on the sign, or you know if it's it's if it's viewed at towards the top, um, you're going to take a lot of criticism for how you deal with people. Um, some of it's fair because your name's there. Some of it's not because you're one person <laughs> who also has a family who sure. also has things going on, um, and that's why I, I know I'm I'm learning if if our if uh, our other leaders don't represent those same values, then it puts um, unfair expectations on, on the senior leader. So. That's the 201, I feel like, to the 101 of we need to serve our people and earn it with our folks. Because, like, my dad, it, well, you talked about your dad earlier, my dad's the greatest servant leader I've ever known. Um, and I can say that unequivocally, I know the man. And he's the greatest servant leader I've ever known. Um, however where he struggles and, and relational leaders typically do this is they get used to being the one that is earning it with those people. And it's difficult to replicate that in people. It's difficult, even though you want someone to care as much about other people as you do, that's hard to find people that are willing to do that. And so what ends up happening, if you're not careful, those relational leaders, the, the problem becomes then you are the one man show. And you can't do that either. And so you've got to be able that's that's when prioritizing maybe stepping even outside your expertise and what you're what you're good at and what you're even passionate about is now how do I create this environment for others to thrive in so that they can be doing some of the things because I will always only lead one thing. I think that we see that in Jesus too. What did Jesus say about the Holy Spirit? It is to your benefit that I'm leaving. Why? Because the Holy Spirit could do more than incarnate God in the place that he was in. The Holy Spirit could go everywhere with every right. single person. And so we see that. And so we have to be willing to to get that time. But that's hard. That's that's a hard lesson for me to learn because I am my father's son in, in that regard as far as <laughs> the apple doesn't fall far from the tree there. I'll say it that way. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, because that is the 201 to that is now how do I create this environment for other leaders to, to answer that call. And part of that is it, it is caught, right? We, we teach it. We can talk it. We can train it. But uh, right now on our campus, when I see a piece of trash out there, if I park and walk in to the church and I see a piece of trash, I go over and pick it up, not because, uh, boy, I just have that much about me that I go. And, I go pick it up because Billy Owens did it at Tanner. I watched our head principal yeah. pick up trash around campus as he moved through the hallways. And every time I see a piece of trash, I pick it up because he did, yeah. by his example. That's right. And uh, and hopefully, you know, if we do that long enough, talk it long enough, it begins to multiply itself. I actually litter on this campus so that you can build that moral <laughs> we authority with folks. Yeah. We try to you know, <laughs> this is a random thing, edit out or whatever, but Kenny Blythe does a, a talk about once a year at oh, local yeah. school campuses where he'll he'll – uh, crumple up a piece of paper, and inside that paper, he'll put a hundred dollar bill in it. And now, if ever if Kenny is about to give a talk or somewhere, I keep looking around and see if there's trash <laughs> around because I want to pick it up because he'll pick it up and then he'll show it to them, and nobody's ever picked it up. So yeah. anyway, shout out to Kenny Blythe there. He doesn't do it as much now. He doesn't work at TVA, 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now he's in full-time yeah. ministry. Yeah. It's a $5 bill now. That's yeah. what it, <laughs> it went. It went down a lot. Um, well, well, Jeff, uh, one more question uh, just on kind of kind of on that note. We talk about those uh, those people that work right under you and, and you're, you're talking to them, trying to communicate clearly with them, cast the vision to them. At the same time, um, how do you – how do you communicate accountability to them? And what does what does uh, what does it look like? What does your leadership look like in regards to uh, a control system? As far as um, um, well, let me let me say one thing too on that Heath. It's, I'm, I'm, I'll get off on a tangent here, but I'll come back. But it goes back to what Alan was saying too. One of the, one of the things I think even successful leaders uh, struggle with is delegation, and I've struggled with that. That's probably been one of my biggest struggles. Um, as I have, you know, moved along, and, and now I'm managing people every day. Uh, Russ Mitchell, who is a, a member of this church, and you all know him well, has to sit in this office over here with me every day. Now, he has the same role that the guy running Huntsville, running Madison, who's another Chris Lindsay, great guy, Coleman, Ardmore, but unfortunately Russ has to sit in the office with me. <laughs> and, 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 and I tell him that all the time. Yeah. And 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 so, when I want something done there, I, I got to be careful not to get ahead of my skis because I'll do it or I'll start, mm. you know, mm. or or getting it done. So I've had to learn to pull back and 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 work through him because there I'm physically there, so it's easier. It's not as easy in the other places. It it kind of forces me to communicate with the other people there because I'm not there. So delegation has been hard for me through the through the years. It really has, but I hope I'm getting better at it. But it, it, it makes it a lot easier when you have great people, and and I've been blessed throughout uh, my entire career to have really really good people. And the people in those roles that you guys are talking about, those half dozen guys, are are fantastic, and 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 I trust them completely. You know, that trust has to go both ways. Yeah, that's right. They got to trust me, but I got to trust them too. And and I do, and they're great. Guys, and I, I think if I would hope if you ask them if they think that I've got their best interests at heart, I would hope all of them would tell you that they know that I do, and I'm going to support them in any way that I can. But going back to you know to your question, Heath, about accountability, I mean, there's a lot of that in our industry. You know, we're a numbers-driven industry. We're a for-profit organization. We have shareholders to please um, uh, that want a dividend every quarter. So our, our performance is is uh, critical to that a very competitive industry one of the most competitive industries I mean, look around town there's a bank on every corner right. so it's it's very competitive in all of our markets i think huntsville's got 40 something financial institutions now. wow mm. so it's crazy but you know again it goes back to them respecting you i, I found out through the years that if they respect you and they know that you care about them and you have their best interests at heart and you want them to succeed, you can hold them accountable. Again, it go, again it goes back. If you don't, they're going to see through that and they're going to be resentful of that. But you try to present accountability, uh, discipline, or whatever you want to call it, yeah. you know, in a manner that's not, too, that's not threatening at all, hopefully. Again, it goes back to communication. If, if I've got to have a conversation, you know, What's the old saying that, you know, um, praise in public, criticize in private. Yeah. I'm never going to call anybody out um, in, 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 in with, with more than one person in the room. I'm never going to embarrass them. 
Uh, so those are those – I can assure you that those are all the conversations I'm either going to have at least on the phone, if not face-to-face, if it's something coming to that, you know. Um, now, I'm, I'm – you know, I, I try to praise our people all the time. If they've got a deal in loan committee or something, a success, you know, that's when I'll send a text or an email because let's just face it, we all want to hear something good about ourselves. Oh, yeah. It motivates people. That's and true. it really doesn't matter whether it comes by text or email – may mean a little more in person, but those are the things that, you know, if somebody sends me a nice text or a nice email, I feel really good about it. You know, it makes me feel good. Not so much if it's the other way. So I make sure if, if, if I'm communicating in that way with them and it's, it's an accountability, we've got something going on, something we need to fix, or um, I'm going to do that uh, one-on-one typically. But Again, as far as getting them to accept that and buy in, I think it all goes back to how they view you as a leader. Yeah. And and the respect they have for you. Right. And the trust they have in you. And again, knowing that uh, what you're doing, you're doing to help them. Right. Yeah. Well, Andy John can get two of the six of those this Sunday. He'll let you know yeah. how a third of those yeah. those branch guys <laughs> yeah. feel about you. Yeah. Need to talk to Chris. Uh, I think I'll see Chris tomorrow. See Russ yeah, Sunday. Right. So uh, just let me know. And you're right. Those guys are fantastic. Great. Uh, let it be known on the podcast. True. Those guys really are stand-up I'm, listen, guys. Listen, I'm truly blessed to have those guys on our team. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Jeff, we appreciate you being on. We always like to end the podcast with some uh, with what we uh, Andy John's quick quick hitters. Is Easiest part of the day. That's right. Quick, quick hitters. hitters. Why doesn't that sound? Uh, these are just these are these are fun, rapid easy, fire. rapid, rapid fire. fire. There it is. I couldn't even remember myself. <laughs> Uh, I like this quick is this is either yeah. either or, uh, PGA or LIV. PGA. <laughs> PGA. I've been waiting to do that one for. I just we haven't told. We haven't said who. Yeah, that's right. It's, we so, it's about Jeff, man. It's not about okay. Lee. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, Lee Hodges, PGA golfer. I I threw that one in there as a, as a shout out there. Um, <laughs> There's only one right answer to that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, okay, um, cash or card. Cash. All right. Interesting from the banker. I wanted yeah, to ask, I wanted to ask that one, too. Uh, winter or summer? Summer. Beach or mountains? Mountains. Where are y'all at on that? We ever talked about that one? I don't think we have. I'm mountains. I would be mountains in a place that is actual pure mountains and is not a tourist trap. So if you're talking so Gatlinburg, I'm going to the beach. <laughs> Okay, Alan hates Gallenberg. Got it. No, it's just you, y'all know, like everything a you lot. do there. It's a lot. My only problem because when you talk about mountains, you talk about Gallenberg or Vision Forge, and that's where we went for eight straight years of student ministry. And so, like, yeah, I don't. I've never been to Gallenberg just as outside a, of a conference. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've been to that CC's overseeing pizza. thirty oh, students. A lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Waited in line for a laser tag. A million years. <laughs> yeah. Uh, ice cream in a cone or a cup? Cone. Uh, let me follow up to that one then. Um, <laughs> cream delight or dubs? What? Wow. That's, that's the, mm. You changed it up there. Um, well, they're connected. Well, yeah, well they, they were. That's they're not right. the same thing. Well, they were. Um, that's right. That's right. They were for years. I, I'm going to go dubs. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> we bring that up every time. I look forward to bringing it up every yeah. time. Because we're trying Alan's to convert Allen. Dubs fan. We're trying to get him out. That's for all right. of our listeners, they already know this. I don't have to say anything. That's right. Uh, for the tens of people. M- Mildred's or Cracker Barrel? 
I'm going to go Mildred simply yeah. because it's in Ardmore. That's yeah. right. That's well a smart played. answer. Well played. Get that fried chicken, baby. Uh, that's exactly right. Dine in or take out? Dine in. TV series or movie? TV series. Uh, you got one you're currently on? No. Got it. Oh, I, I watch very little TV or movies. My wife uh, has a heart. I, I watch sports on TV, and that's go. about where it ends. So. <laughs> uh, noise to sleep or no noise? I do leave the TV on. Really? Typically. I don't have a noise machine, but but I do typically go to sleep with the TV on. Where y'all at on that? Yeah, we've got I've, we've got noise going. Yeah, our house sounds like a hurricane. Yeah, we've got noise because it's my way. My wife has always slept, so I just I can sleep in anything. I can't do. I can that. sleep with the lights on. I can sleep in any condition. I can't do the TV though. And, and so Saturday night going into Sunday again, we all have to get up Sunday morning, and get ready, and get going right. Uh, I I could not stop watching Colorado Colorado State. It got done at one thirty a.m. Like I cannot go to sleep with the TV's on. It was a great game, by the way. Uh, call or text? We sort of got that one already. Yeah, <laughs> phone call. Right? That's right. I was listening. That's it. That's all we got. That's awesome. Well, cool. Well, Jeff, again, thanks for being here. Thank you, and, guys. Uh, and man, it's been fun talking leadership with you. Thank you all for what y'all do for our community. I know Lindsey Lane is huge in this community other communities that yeah. where you have campuses in your school and you know we, we've got some dealings with the school and we couldn't be more honored to have that and i'll say this when i leave i have a lot of pride in this building probably none of the three of you guys even know this you may have been told that but um i think a hundred percent of this campus was money that uh, was loaned by the financial institution right. where i was at steve smith who was a former member here and Dusty's right. relative. Uh, I think we did every edition here. I mean, I remember when it was the one little building there. Mm. That's how far back I go. So we've got a – I personally have a lot of pride in Lindsay Lane, even though I don't go to church here. I appreciate what you guys do, and I know the impact you make in our community, and I genuinely appreciate that. Thank you, sir. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, thank you guys for tuning in. Hopefully uh, go back and listen to this once or twice, three times, however you mean, uh, need to, just to catch all the nuggets of goodness in there that help you in your leadership. And until next time, keep leading. Thanks for listening to the Bottom Shelf Leadership Podcast, a ministry of Lindsay Lane Baptist Church. For more information on our church and all three of our locations, you can check us out at lindsaylane.org.